Welcome to the Lancet Neurology Podcast. I'm Aaron Van Dorn, speaking to you from the Lancet's New York office. Non-immersive virtual reality has become a quickly emerging rehabilitation strategy for stroke, but is it effective? I recently spoke with Dr. Gustavo Spoznik, a neurologist and scientist at the Lee Ka Shing Knowledge Institute at St. Michael's Hospital at the University of Toronto to find out. Dr. Spoznik, the term non-immersive virtual reality is an unusual one. Could you please describe what you mean by this and give some examples of devices that fall into this category? Sure. The, the easiest way is to explain basically what is immersive virtual reality. So immersive virtual reality is when participants are visually immersed in a specific environment. So they are isolated from the real environment and are unable to perform in the real environment system. Some examples for the immersive virtual reality is that the cave system or 3D uh, rooms uh, with virtual reality. Non-immersive virtual reality is a 3D a scene that is part of the physical environment. For example, different platforms that use like a TV screen, like the Kinect or the PlayStation or the Nintendo Wii. These are examples of non-immersive virtual reality games. Do you think that fully immersive virtual reality could potentially provide more beneficial results than non-immersive technology? So this is a, a great question. I'm not particularly sure. There has been some studies outside of the hospital or rehabilitation institutions usually that show some promising results. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Another way to rephrase your question is whether immersive virtual reality compared to other simpler strategies like non-immersive virtual reality, for example, are more likely to enhance brain plasticity or increase motivation or activate the mirror neuron system to facilitate or enhance motor recovery after a stroke? And this is an open question that, in my view, has not been answered yet. There is also a question about what can be done if it's immersive virtual reality is available in rehab institutions, specifically when delivering the subacute phase of a stroke. That's a question that still remains to be answered. Motor function of participants in this study was primarily assessed at the end of two-week intervention. Do you think that a longer rehabilitation period could yield different results? No, this is, a, again, this is a great question. So let me uh, give you an explanation why we use only, let's say, two weeks uh, period instead of a longer period of time. Uh, what we know today is that uh, more therapy is better than less therapy for stroke recovery unless patients or until patients reach a plateau manifested by tiredness or fatigue. So when we, for example, start a pilot study, Everest pilot, and then the large randomized trial, basically we designed the two-week period to uh, make sure that patients will comply with the protocol and we will be able to have an appropriate follow-up. This is about mostly about the proof of principle and the implementation of the study. So those participants enrolled in Everest Multicenter received conventional therapy on an average 370 minutes plus 600 minutes of either virtual reality or recreational activity. So taken together, that means that each participant received nearly two hours of rehabilitation every day during the study period. So it's possible that extending this uh, scheme to four weeks or longer or three hours per day, for example, would achieve better results. However, we believe that it's unlikely that non-immersive virtual reality would be better than recreational activity, even if extended you know, to three hours or a little bit longer. 
In this study, you enroll patients within the first three months following their first ever ischemic stroke. Is time to enrollment a critical factor for this type of rehabilitation? Yeah, I think that's, again, a, a very good question. And this is one of the challenges for doing a stroke rehabilitation trial. Most of the stroke rehabilitation trials has mostly included patients in the chronic phase of the stroke, so more than six months. So the time of enrollment is crucial for many reasons. N number one is you are taking an upfront risk of having complications after a stroke, which usually occur in the first months after a stroke. So when I said complications, that mean, you know, cardiac arrhythmias or an underlying infection that may directly affect stroke outcomes. And secondly, based on our current knowledge, the earlier the initiation of rehabilitation, the higher the likelihood of uh, achieving an, an improvement. So this is important to measure when patients are randomized in any type of trial to make studies or somewhat more comparable. The greatest burden of stroke occurs in low and middle income countries with constrained resources and limited access to technologies and rehabilitation therapists. How do you think the results of your study will affect rehabilitation strategies in those areas? So in our view, this is one of the most important aspects of, of the result of our study. Whatever is multicenter shows is that non-immersive virtual reality is not more effective than simple recreational activities. So considering that the easy access and implementation and very low cost of these recreational activities tested in our studies, such as matching cars in terms of numbers or colors, dominoes, etc., our study provides hope to those patients who may not have direct access to technologies or live in remote areas. This means basically uh, in low and middle income countries. So conventional rehab, meaning physiotherapy, is usually provided in rehab centers or even at home for a limited amount of time. The question is, how can we enhance motor recovery after a stroke in the remaining 23 hours of the day? So recreational activities as tested in our study seem to be at least as good as technological advances or non-immersive virtual reality. And it's also feasible and a very inexpensive option. What do you think the most important questions that still need to be answered in the field of post-stroke rehabilitation? I think that in the last uh, several years, we have made a progress in terms of stroke rehabilitation. So if you, uh, if you review some uh, data, even some data that we published in, in Stroke Journal a couple of years ago, if one of the keywords was stroke rehabilitation, actually your, your manuscript was less likely to be accepted for publication. That represent, uh, has uh, many, many potential explanations for that. In terms of questions, I think that some of the future questions may include what are the best platforms and technologies that may enhance motor and cognitive recovery after a stroke? How much better are they compared to conventional rehab? So, for example, how stroke recovery interventions can effectively be delivered in middle and low income countries? And, you know, we are working together at the internationally to, uh, towards these goals. So we have a recent meeting, for example, at the in Philadelphia in the stroke in the World Stroke Rehab uh, uh, meeting, and there was a publication in in International Journal of the Stroke that reflects how we are trying to advance the field forward, and this is people uh, well accomplished and internationally renowned physiatrists, stroke uh, rehab experts like Julie Bernhard, uh, Gerd Quackel, among other colleagues has been, you know, working together towards organizing meetings and consensus panels to answer these questions and to provide some guidance to advance the field. Dr. Sapasnik, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you very much. Much appreciated.